In 2 Peter 3 verses 15 through 18, Peter tells us how we should look at the patience of the Lord. You know, the Lord is so patient and the reason that he hasn't come yet is for salvation. You know, he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I'm so grateful that he didn't come back in the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s because so many more people have come into the kingdom. We're going to explore the patience of the Lord more on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Tonight we're finishing up 2 Peter. We're going to look at verses 15 through 18 in chapter 3. Let's read them together. And if you don't mind, why don't you stand up if you're uh, physically able to. Stand to your feet. Let's read the word of God together. It says this. And regard, 2 Peter 3.15, the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. Peter wrote this letter to encourage the ongoing growth of believers. The goal after you get saved could be simply put in this idea of growing. You're born again. Now you just need to grow. A baby's born into the world and its one job is to grow. It's to grow into everything that we would hope that child would become. We often as parents quote the verse, train up a child in the way that he or she should go and when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And that has the idea of grow, go, going in the direction to which God has gifted them. Of course, first and foremost, to know the Lord. But then to stay on the path or run in the lane that God has for you. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to grow. And growing is a two-way street. God has all the resources Early on in the letter, we read everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us everything we need. But just because he gives you everything you need is not a guarantee that you're going to grow. Your growing will be closely connected to how much effort you put in. We read a list in chapter one about applying different things, applying diligence and moral excellence and brotherly kindness. There are things that you have to do that promote growth. They promote healthy growth. You think about eating habits. You think about exercise. You think about what you watch, what you listen to. These all have to do with the shaping of your mind, the shaping of your body. What you put into yourself, in your mind, in your body, produces an outcome. Uh, there's maybe not a big percentage of our population is in shape. Why? Because there's only one way to be in shape. You got to work out. 
And if you don't work out, you will not be in shape. It doesn't come by osmosis. I have news for you. You can put on that belt that they sell on late night TV. Have you seen this one? Just put this on and you'll end up with a six pack. And it just vibrates while you eat Rocky Road ice cream or cookies and cream. You will not end up with a six pack. Quite the opposite. And so you have to, there is something that you have to do. You have to apply yourself. Your Christian life is not something that you should just mail in or that's what I just do on Sundays between the hours of 9 and 11 or whatever those hours may be. No, you're supposed to give your best to God, to love him with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. This, this sounds like it is something that God wants your effort. He does want your best. He deserves your best. Don't you agree? He deserves all the love that we have to give him because it is a relational love. I want to give my best to my wife. I want to give my best to people that I love. And it's no exception with God. Now, Peter wrote against, over against the backdrop of exposing false teachers. Mature, growing believers will not make the same mistakes as immature believers. So young believers, or we, we can sometimes think of younger people who lack experience and maybe they haven't run into all the same things that we who are older have. Sometimes it's easier to be duped when you're immature. Immature believers often are duped by false teachers. Why? because they don't know as much of the word as you may know. They don't have as much experience. Maybe they haven't run into these false teachers before. So they hear someone talk about Christ, salvation, use some of our language or lingo. And they could be quickly snagged by a false teacher. But not everybody who uses the name of Christ, who talks about salvation, or who even waves a Bible in front of you, is necessarily of God. So Peter is writing to believers that they not be tricked, not be fooled, not be duped. Don't be naive. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge. Growing in grace and knowledge protects you from a whole host of problems. Let me mention just a few. It protects you from stagnation. It protects you from uselessness. It protects you from fruitlessness. And the opposite of that would be Growing and active, it would be useful and fruitful. That's what Peter said in chapter one. If you do these things, they render you neither useless or unfruitful as it relates to the kingdom of God. A growing Christian is not going to be duped by the things that a Christian who's ignorant is duped by. When I say duped, I mean fooled, tricked, snagged, brought into the wrong way. And one of the things that these teachers were saying is that they were denying the second coming of Jesus Christ. They were saying, where is the promise of his coming? And in so doing, it seems that they were saying, you could live however you want because Christ is not gonna come back in our generation anyway. And so since he's not, you can live it up because grace, grace, grace. And they were saying that you can do whatever you want with your body because of God's grace. And that's just simply not true. Peter, in light of the day of the Lord, look back with me at verse 11, says these words, chapter three, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, talking about the day of the Lord and the judgment by fire, what sort of people ought you to be 
in holy conduct and godliness. Since all this stuff ultimately is going to fry, it's not going to last, how should you live in response to that reality? Do you believe in the second coming? I think everybody in here would say, absolutely. Then what, what kind of person ought you to be to live in the light of the second coming? Christ is going to come. You're going to give an account one day of your life, what you did in the body, whether it was good or whether it was useless, to your Lord. When your Lord comes, how do you want him to find you? Hopefully active. Go to the book of Luke for a second. Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four gospels. Luke 12, look at verse 34. These are the words of Jesus. Luke 12, 34. He says, for where your treasure is, Luke 12, 34, there your heart be also or will be also. Be dressed in readiness, Luke 12, 35. Keep your lamps alight. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up remarkably and wait on them. When we were in Israel recently, uh, Shane, my oldest son, took up a project. He said, Dad, I want to redo our garage while you're gone. And I said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. My garage is a disaster. I should say was a disaster. Now, I would clean my garage. Maybe some of you could relate to this. I would clean my garage, but I would basically, when I clean my garage, move piles around. Can I get a witness? Anybody? So I'm not clean. No, you can throw things away. All right. Anyway, so, but we have some pack rat uh, tendencies in our family. I will not name names for political purposes. Anyway, to keep peace in the house and all that. So, because this stuff is recorded. Huh? So anyway, so, but anyway, we're in Israel for like 10 days. I came home and Shane and others, others that he had recruited, who I, I thank the Lord for those people as well, uh, including Nathan back there, worked really hard. They redid my garage and we came home to a new garage. They were busy while the master was away. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, I, I trained him to call me Lord and master. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, it was cool to come home to that. They were, they were busy bees. They had put in many hours. And uh, I will say that we were so jet lagged when we got home, we probably didn't show all the excitement that we could have shown for the garage. But one of the major priorities we did accomplish that night when we returned from Israel, we had Miguel's. Because when you're in Israel, there ain't no Mexican food. It just doesn't exist. So there's two things you're longing for food-wise when you come home to the States. Miguel's and In-N-Out, all right? So I've accomplished, I ate Miguel's every day for about five days in a row. Anyway, not sure that that's the best thing, but there you go. Now, whether he comes in the second watch, Luke 12, 38, or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. A thief probably doesn't call you up on the phone and says, hey, uh, about 2.35 a.m. Uh, this morning, I'll be trying to break into your side door. Just to give you a heads up on my plan. No, thieves don't work that way. They come at an hour when you don't expect it. 
Peter said, notice Peter who wrote our letter, actually verse 40 says, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on the armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. He would not have allowed his house to be broken into. A thief probably doesn't call you up on the phone and says, hey, uh, about 2.35 a.m. Uh, this morning, I'll be trying to break into your side door. Just to give you a heads up on my plan. No, thieves don't work that way. They come at an hour when you don't expect it. Peter said, notice Peter who wrote our letter. Actually, verse 40 says, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, the author of our letter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward? A steward is a manager of somebody else's household or possessions, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know, and sadly will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers." And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes, keyword many. But the one who did not know it, committed deeds worthy of, flog of a flogging, will receive but a few. And from everyone who has been given much shall be required. And to him whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. I've come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. There are many times, if you turn back to Second Peter, that Jesus addressed the return that he would make. He promised he was coming again. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus, so you can take it to the bank. That's captured in day of the Lord language in the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is coming again. And of that day and hour, the Father knows uh, I believe the Son knows now. On the earth, Jesus said, only the Father knows, not even the angels know. God knows the day of the hour. God has fixed that day. I don't know. Now, I can have an idea of the signs of the times. I believe the Bible teaches that we can understand the season of that coming. But 
whatever time that you live, we're to live in the light of the second coming. And somebody might say, well, what about God's delay, though? The, the skeptics, the mockers have been asking, well, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they did from the time of creation. And we get an answer and Peter responds, the Lord, 2 Peter 3, 9, is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why is God patient? Because he doesn't want any to perish, but what? Here's how you know God's heart. God wants all to come to repentance. God has put off the return of Jesus Christ for one reason, according to 2 Peter 3, 9. The reason he's been slow about it, if you want to count it as slowness, although to the Lord, a day is like what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. So for the Lord, it's not been slow. To us, maybe it's been slow. But in that slowness, in that patience, what has it meant for the world? It has meant that many more, a harvest of souls has come into the kingdom. And so 15 of 2 Peter 3, we are to regard or count or bear in mind the patience of the Lord or of our Lord to be what? To be salvation. How many more people have been saved if, let's say, for example, Jesus returned in 65 AD. Peter's writing this letter somewhere between 65, 66, and 68 AD. Let's say that he returned right before Peter died. Now, Peter might appreciate that. But 2,000 years of church history wouldn't have happened and there would be a lot less people in the kingdom over the last 2,000 years. How many people have entered into the kingdom of God? I don't know. Would you, would you agree millions and millions and millions? Yes. And if the Lord had returned in the 1950s, Michael Lance isn't in the kingdom of God. And I take that quite personally. See, I regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Now, sometimes, and this is biblical, we, we know the Bible says Maranatha. What's that mean? Come, Lord Jesus. We want the Lord to come. But when do we typically say, oh, Lord, just come now. Come now. Here's when it is. Let's get real. It's not across the board, but I think this is true. I haven't been feeling good for quite a long time. It would be nice if the Lord comes now. Uh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Jesus, come now. We have our reasons to want to ramp up the coming, but I'm not sure there are always reasons related to the kingdom of God. I think sometimes they're largely related to the kingdom of Michael. Everybody with me? We sometimes, and I'm not saying this is true across the board, but I know for me, if I were to analyze the times when I have really said, oh Lord, just come now. It's usually because my personal world wasn't going as well as I would like it to go. Just come, Lord. Everything's messed up. The people are messed up, right? Freeways are messed up. But what we want to do is understand that the Lord's delay, the divine delay, has meant salvation for a number of souls. And what God wants from you and from me, please hear me well, is productive waiting. 
Shane did my garage while I was in Israel. That was what I call productive waiting. Nathan helped with the garage while I was in Israel. That's, that's what a father calls productive waiting. Right? Usually when you leave your house, you say to the kids, don't burn the house down. Right? I will say, Husto, because I got to give credit where credit is due. Husto, my great in-law, my brother, was productive while waiting. You weren't really waiting for my return. I, this is not a great picture, but anyway. <laughs> but he was helping with the garage. Now, let me, <laughs> let me use the analogy and I'll widen it. How do you think God wants you to wait for his return? Well, I don't know when he's going to come. But I, don't know. I think I'll just eat some of this and crank up my lazy boy. I'm being a lazy boy anyway. And I think I'll just... What do you think he wants? See, if the world is going to experience salvation, the tools to bring that message of salvation is you and me. Productive waiting means in concert with God Almighty, I preach the gospel so I can get as many people in before that coming arrives. That is productive waiting. And the guy writing this was super productive. The first 10 chapters of the book of Acts are about Peter preaching in Jerusalem, preaching, then affirming the preaching of Philip in Samaria, preaching in the Gentile house of Cornelius, and opening the door of the gospel to Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile. Paul, who's going to be mentioned in the next few verses, or at least the, one of the verses, was productive from Acts 10, really on the rest of the book of Acts is about a man named Saul who becomes Paul. What does he do? He goes all over the Roman world, pushing as many into the kingdom, if I can put it that way, as possible by preaching the gospel in Athens and Corinth and anywhere else he went, planting churches and being productive. You've got so much time, so do I. Same 24 hours in a day, you get to decide how productive you wanna be. It's that simple. And Peter says the way you need to look at God's Delay, if you will, if you want to put it in the language of delay, God's patience is because God wants a bunch of people to be saved. In fact, God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to end up condemned in hell under the judgment. And so he waits. And he is so patient. He is much more patient than I am. He's extremely patient, even to the degree that a thief on the cross can say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And there are people that you know, some people that you would say, man, I never thought this person would ever even be open to the gospel. And one of your friends has been saved recently. Some of you may be shocked. Man, I never thought he was going to become a Christian. And that friend, that, that family member is now a believer. Thank God for his patience. Thank God that Jesus didn't come back five years ago or 10 years ago or even 10 months ago. For some of us, right? For some of us, we've just recently rededicated our lives and we are regretting the, the years we gave away. And we're saying, I want to redeem the next decade or two or three to the Lord. But that would mean that he doesn't come in the next decade or two or three. I'd like him to come, don't get me wrong. I want to see my Lord. But I also know he's got business to do and people to hear the gospel and people he wants saved. And the question 
He asked in Luke 18 is when the Lord comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What do you think that means? Does that mean, do you think he'll find believers? Or do you think he's saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find his people busy about his business? He does say in that same section, occupy until I come. And so there is such a way to redeem the waiting, the way you redeem the waiting is you're productive. Because our Lord's patience, verse 15, chapter three, is salvation, soteria, deliverance. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Paul wrote about God's salvation. Paul wrote about productive waiting. Here's a few verses. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, Romans 2, 4. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says love is patient. Remember we often say you could take the word love and replace it with Jesus or God. God is patient. God is kind, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 16, Paul wrote, yet for this reason I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost or chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Have you ever just said something like this? Lord, thank you for your patience. How long did you fight the Lord? Are you fighting the Lord tonight? What it take for you to yield? How many people witnessed to you? How many of your friends told you the same thing? Some of you got saved maybe after the first gospel presentation, but a lot of you fought it. A lot of you waited, and God waited for you. It's pretty amazing. Paul wrote about these things. He wrote to you from the wisdom given to him from above. And Peter says, as also 16 in all his letters... Speaking in them of these things, and I think it relates to the previous verse about the patience of God and the day of the Lord of the second coming specifically, in which are some things hard to understand. Now, Peter said that some of the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. Does that give you a little bit of like, oh, cool. You mean Peter read some of Paul's stuff and said, hey, that... That's hard to understand. Yeah, that means sometimes when you read your Bible, and I would recommend if you're new to the Bible, don't read the King James. Let me tell you why. The King James Bible was written in 1611. The English language has changed quite a bit since 1611. Would you agree? That's 407 years ago. So when you open your Bible and you see the thee, thou's, and the thou'est, and the thinest, and the whatever, that's hard. So I would encourage you to get a modern translation because that will clear up some of it. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.